Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Uh, on this episode, I will be joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, which is pretty usual. Uh, our guest will be David Waters. You guys might know him as Gator Dave, host of Gators Breakdown, regular guest on the Bill King Show. Um, one of the better uh, independent college football journalists, not just covering Florida, but I think in the country, uh, Gators Breakdown is... One of my favorite shows. Um, we're going to bring Dave on just to kind of talk about being an independent journalist uh, life. Uh, we're going to talk about some football. We're going to talk some basketball. It'll be a little different than than some of the shows that we've done. I mean, there will be plenty of Florida basketball in here. Uh, but but long overdue, fan of the uh, of the show, longtime supporter of the show, and, and we, uh, you know, obviously have a lot of respect for what Dave does. So I hope you guys listen and enjoy. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. That's pretty normal. I'm also with uh, Dave Waters. You guys know him as Gator Dave, host of Gator's Breakdown. Um, first time that, that he's been on the show, which is uh, probably criminal on our part. But um, Dave, thank you for uh, for joining us. You know, how, how's it going? It's kind of a, a strange time, but I guess things are, are slowly creeping back to normal. Slowly, slowly. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, uh, Will and I uh, on Gators Breakdown, we just had our episode this week of, of players coming back on campus, football players coming back on campus, and uh, everything seems to be good there. So, yeah, as you said, kind of kind of piecemealing it together, I guess, uh, for players coming back to campus and, and taking the next step and getting closer to some football. So, yeah, slowly, slowly getting back to normal. Hopefully uh, all the good news continues on that front. Yeah, and I know that the uh... – the basketball players will be back summer B to start their usual plan with Pe- Preston Green, one of the best in the business, uh, the basketball Nick Savage. So uh, <laughs> um, I know a lot of those guys are, are looking forward to that. Um, maybe he could take it easy on Noah Locke this year. That, that guy went from like scrawny little freshman to dude you wouldn't want to be in a street fight with. So like whatever they're doing to Noah, just let him be. Um, hey, I think I think Trey Mann's uh, looking to get on that program and uh, bulk up a little bit. But. The no, the Noah Lock program, uh, the Noah Lock program. Oh yeah, like uh, like you said, I mean for him, for him to put on that mask, that was uh, uh, that's good stuff. So uh, definitely good that we've got uh, got that strength and conditioning on both sides uh, of the program here with Savage and uh, and obviously one of the uh, the greats in in basketball, uh, Preston Green. Was it wasn't there a video of of, of Mann and Mike Miller? It- Oh uh, yeah, well there was uh, yeah he was out working with Mike Miller. Uh, Miller was in the uh, in the villages came to came to work out with him. So uh, definitely cool to see that. I mean, uh, everyone loves to see when uh, when Gators kind of come back like that. You see it, I would say, a lot more on the football side than the uh, yeah. than the basketball side. So when it does happen with basketball, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. So uh, to see Mike Miller in a Gators hat working out with uh, with Trey Mann, who's uh, Hopefully got a, got at least one more good season with the Gators or, you know, d- depending on what you believe. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's something that, you know, we talked so much about Donovan's legacy on the on the Donovan shows that we did before they they did the court naming. But the the fact that basketball sort of building that inventory of guys that like can just come back and work out kids 
um, you know, now, I mean, they, they, we, Eric and I have talked a lot about how when Brad Beal came back for the court naming, uh, you know, apparently, uh, like Trey man was just like following him around like a little mm-hmm. puppy dog. <laughs> like, you know, he couldn't believe that like Brad Beal was, was in the building and that kind of stuff. I'm sure it happens in football all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, even too, like th- that's what made the Billy Donovan night so special was the fact that you don't always have all these players uh, yeah. coming around. And, I, and I'm not saying it's a bad, I'm not saying it's a negative, but just, uh, uh, especially with the, uh, uh, the difference between um, the difference between a lot of uh, of the ex football players, the ex basketball players, is a lot of these ex basketball players are in Europe during the season, so it's uh, it's pretty tough for them to uh, to get back or whatever on campus. But that's just what made it so much more special that all those players are back. Is that uh, yeah, it's just tougher to do that for for the basketball side. That that kind of leads to the first good football question for Dave, which is cheating because it's it's kind of breaking up the uh, the <laughs> the makeshift outline I did uh, before we even started the show, but. Dave, is that a cultural difference that was like immediately obvious in in Mullen from McElwain and Muschamp, like the embrace of of the past? It definitely seems that way. Um, you saw some you saw some former players um, when when McElwain was here, but you know it, you're going to always have that where past players come back just because they want to and they have that access. I don't think McElwain went out of his way to feel those players welcomed. And Mullen had an insight a little bit, of course. You know, he was here during the, the Urban Meyer glory days, and a lot of those players uh, had a lot of success that were so well-known. You know, it was a lot easier for him to kind of maybe reach out because he had a relationship with those players previously. You know, Jim McElwain come in, he didn't necessarily have that relationship, and that's not necessarily saying he shouldn't have reached out more, but at least Dan Mullen had a relationship previously with so many of those guys from 2006 to 2008 when he was here. So it probably is a bit easier for Mullen to, to reach out and, and get some of those guys and, you know, bring them to the big games. And, you know, game day would be here, and those guys would be on the game day set talking, and, of course, Tim Tebow would be here with SEC Nation. So you kind of had a built-in um, yeah. players returning for, for uh, when Mullen was here, but also, you know, that when they were on the sideline for the big LSU game, Brad Stewart picks off and you see all the former players on the sideline jumping up and down. And of course, this Auburn game this past this past football season, like I said, a lot of that was built in because it was such a big game and, and, and game day was here and then and, or and then uh, SEC Nation was also here. Uh, so, you know, some of that worked itself out anyway, but Mullen's definitely went out of his way to to embrace uh, a lot of the players that he coach at the same time and bring them on campus yeah i think that's 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 a really fair way of putting it i mean because i feel like Muschamp, it was hard for him too just because he had such a cultural mess to clean up so in some ways he like had to distance himself a little bit from the immediate past you know and and maybe maybe he didn't want to who knows but but uh certainly different with with mullen and one thing about mike white is that he's never shied away from you know doing the really obvious thing and embr- <laughs> embracing the Donovan culture. Like it'd be really dumb to burn that house down. So, so yeah, and, and it, you also got to, it's a lot harder in basketball too, as you know, Eric kind of said too, you got players in Europe. Some of those players are still playing in the NBA, so it's still hard to get back. So, and you have a lot less, you know, a lot fewer player pool to pull from in basketball. Yeah, yeah. Football, you have, you know, all these huge 85 man rosters that you can pull from and get guys to come back. Basketball, it's, it's much harder. So, oh, I I mean, hey, hey, first of all, um, I I just feel like I have never sounded more Canadian on this podcast uh, than right now with David (laughs) Waters. Uh, uh, But but man, I love it. But uh, hey, I just wanted a quick shout out. 
Uh, Kabarius Hayes, while we're talking players playing in Europe, uh, he just signed with Asvel in, in France. Uh, they, play in the, uh, they play in the top league in France. And uh, they also just uh, just made it into the Euro League, the top league in Europe. So this is in like, for those of you who don't follow European basketball, this is like the top league outside of the NBA that Kavarius Hayes is now playing in. Um, I would be, uh, I, I, I'm assuming he's making six figures or, or maybe, you know, at least, you know, definitely touching six figures playing basketball just a year outside of, uh, outside of leaving Florida. So I just wanted to make sure that was shouted out because I wanted to make sure people know that Kavarius Hayes, after playing one really good year in Italy, has now just made a big signing and, uh, and he's really doing well. So I wanted to make sure we, uh, we shouted him out because uh, obviously, you know, me and Neil have, uh, have definitely stand Kavarius Hayes on the podcast. So let's keep that going. <laughs> That's that's great. I actually did not know that. I did not see that that news. Um, and and that's, I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, I think we talked about uh, talking about one of the best defensive players in in the history of the program. Um, so, you know, not not that surprised by it. But uh, good for him. Sort of the Pat Young route, where Pat signed a big European contract before he he hurt his knee, but but he was able to cash in before the injury. Um, <laughs> On, on kind of being a ferocious defender, although not in the French league. Um, so, so that is impressive. Yeah, definitely a tangent, but I just want to, just, we were talking players playing in Europe, but uh, I, I like to David, how you mentioned just like uh, the, the difference in, uh, in size of, of player pool. Uh, that certainly <laughs> makes the, uh, the number of, uh, of available players to come back a lot smaller, but uh, uh, yeah. Hey, I, I, I know that, uh, that white is always welcomed in players whenever, whenever they've come back. And uh, I, I think it's wise because I mean, uh, one of the problems that I think basketball, college basketball has on the whole is there's just so much roster turnover and it's only going to get, uh, it's, it's only going to get more and more so. And I do think that uh, one of the risks of that is you do have your casual fan that doesn't want to tune into as many games because uh, they get to grow and love a team or love a player. And then uh, if they don't really follow the team and then it comes to the next season, uh, football season's done and they start watching basketball and they say like, Hey, I, I don't recognize these players. I, I mean, that's a big problem. And uh, it's, I think that, Hey, anytime you get these, uh, these players that people do know some of the Gator greats and, and, and they can come back and, and see those guys on the sideline, just like you see at football, uh, you see all these familiar names from throughout the year. It, it's just kind of the experience for football. And I think if you had that experience for basketball, uh, some more familiar faces around, Hey, it, it can never hurt. Yeah, and you guys brought up Patrick Young right quick. You know, being here in Jacksonville, working at WJC Channel Four, he actually interned with us uh, during his college uh, career. So he he he, he, he interned <laughs> into he interned in the sports department there. So it was it was pretty cool to see him in the building uh, time and time again. It was uh, I, I walked back there as sports just to talk to those guys, and lo and behold, Patrick Young's just sitting there. <laughs> so uh, I didn't even know he was uh, had signed up for an internship there. So that was uh, pretty neat to see him in the building for uh, a couple months during his uh, internship. How about that? That's that's amazing. Billy Donovan uh, said Pat Young is one of the the nicest people that ever played for him. The oh gentle, man, the gentle giant. <laughs> So you wouldn't you wouldn't know it by the way he played, but but uh, <laughs> off the floor, a totally different uh, guy. Dave, I, you know, you talked about what you do full time, but you know, a couple years ago, uh, you you start Gators Breakdown. Like, tell us, you know, what what kind of went into that? Uh, I'm sure, you know, if, if you go back on the wherever you subscribe to Gators Breakdown, Apple, Spotify, any of the places you can listen to it. You know, I'm sure it's a story you've told before, but it's always an interesting one to me because, uh, 
you know, like you, I, I have a full-time other gig, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm a college football and basketball journalist and, and, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in, in that work, uh, you know, and, and you do it really, really well. So, you know, tell us what went into starting that. Yeah. So of course, grew up a Gator fan, born, uh, born in Jacksonville. My family moved to Southeast Georgia, just an hour and a half north of uh, of Jacksonville, up in you know Waycross Blackshear uh, area. So still came to Jacksonville a lot, but I was raised a Gator. Uh, all that uh, you know, all through grade school and stuff. Being a Gator fan in Southeast Georgia, a lot, a lot of fun uh, through the uh, grade grade school and high school and, and all that. And then uh, you know, was set to go to Florida and everything. And then my my dad had some heart trouble. Uh, and everything, so I decided to say decided to stay closer to home. Uh, I actually went to Georgia Southern uh, for for college. A lot of people don't know that part about it, but you know, wanted to be close to family just you know just because of, of what was going on uh, at the time. But uh, my my love for Florida never wavered. <laughs> so uh, uh, just kept you know I had got an internship with ESPN uh, there. So I finished my college career with an internship uh, there at ESPN in 2006. That that spring and got a job. Back here in Jacksonville at uh, WJXT Channel 4 uh, there. So uh, started um, there. I, I had a lot of experience uh, filming Georgia Southern football games. And so I, I had always, you know, could could uh, fall back on that. So just got I had a job at Channel 4. got my foot in the door uh, there. Just kind of a part-time job and worked away at full-time. But around football season, uh, like I said, I got the job around June couple months later, um, there I am sitting on the side or, you know, not sitting, standing on the sidelines with a camera in my hand uh, in the swamp. Uh, I have proved, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, proved myself to be able to shoot some high school football and, and have a, you know, strong uh, sports knowledge. And they were like, you know what, uh, how would you like to go to Gainesville and, and be on the sideline and shoot some of these, uh, shoot some of these games? So, was, you know, dream come true. Sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was not work. Uh, so, and what, you know, what better time? The first season I get to do that, Florida goes on to win a national championship and, and goes on a run for a few years uh so you know fast forward about 10 years or so uh you know still i was still doing that off and on uh helping the sports department there uh that wasn't my full-time gig at, at channel four but helping the sports department when, when i could just because of uh you know what i could pr- provide uh in coverage for the gators and, and the like uh so um you know I, i'd done some writing some freelance writing a couple sites out there and um through that and starting my own twitter account started um, Mark Rogers, I'll give him a huge shout out. Mark Rogers TV. He's invited me on to talk Gators on his YouTube channel, and I uh, kind of fell in love with it a, a bit. Talking, you know, just talking Gators and and writing. Um, to me, takes a lot a, a lot of time, Neil. So I'm glad you yeah. can do it, <laughs> and Eric, I'm glad you guys can do it because it <laughs> takes a whole lot of time uh, to do that. I said, you know, I, I just want to talk uh, football. There was a, not a lot of content that. In, in that form or fashion, that medium out there yet in 2016 podcasts were, you know, they were, they were out there, but they, they still weren't nowhere near what they are today. Right. Uh, so you know, trying to get out in front of it a, a bit, I wanted to bring something different. Uh, you know, Gators Breakdown was kind of built on, uh, you know, kind of just diving just a little bit deeper analytically uh, and, and really just be diehard football. Uh, of course, everywhere else out there was kind of, you know, not you know, football always kind of dominates the the conversation, but uh, I, I, mine was, was going to be solely focused uh, on, on Gator football. So I started it there, just something different. Uh, I think I thought I had a little bit of different opinion uh, than than a lot of people out there, and just kind of wanted to get out there. 
Uh, so at the time when I started it, I was happy to get 50 listens <laughs> when it starts. And, and now, uh, you know, several thousand listens in an in episode. And uh, I can't thank everybody enough who, you know, trusted me and just an independent source out there. You know, I built the, I built the podcast basically on Twitter uh, and, and all the interaction there and, and all the kind of strategizing of when to share a post and this interaction. I think that's the best thing is, is the the wholehearted interaction that we get on Twitter uh, with a lot of the followers out there. And, and I've told everybody up front, you know, I'm a fan first. You're going to get you know, the fan perspective, but I try and be fair and honest at the same time. Uh, with that, it may not, it's not going to be rose rosy all the time. It's not going to be positive all the time. And even though I'm a fan, you're not going to get just the, the sunshine and rainbows all the time. There, there, there's a, there's a truth, uh, out there. Uh, so if, if it's positive, I'm going to talk about it. If it's negative, I'm going to talk about it. Hopefully there's a lot more positive than negative. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to bring some, bring some realism out there. It's uh, it's funny that you mention uh, the fact that you're a fan, but it, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be positive. Uh, just because, like, to me, uh, you know, you hear people say some some things like that, but but to me, it's almost the exact opposite. Like, I feel like no one is as hard on their own team as, <laughs> yeah. as their own, you know, the fans are harder on their own team than anyone. So it's almost like the element of a, of a fan is what brings you the honesty. I mean, it's like, if you really weren't a fan, then you'd be like, oh, I'm not going to get into, like, you know, whatever recruiting miss, whatever third down defensive play call problems, you know, but I, I think that, that that mix of really good insight and some of that fan passion is, uh, is why I love your podcast. But uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask, uh, just because there seems to be quite a fine line of like, hey, being a fan, uh, being independent and uh, and also gaining the res- gaining the respect of, of listeners and uh, just kind of uh, uh, when it comes to being independent, I mean, there's there's so much uh, there's so many people, I mean, uh, that, that are going to look at you as as less than uh, less than the big uh, the big name brands. And I, I was just kind of interested. How do you how do you kind of bring that uh, that relevancy uh, and how do you kind of uh, value that versus the uh, the kind of like down home uh, kind of like the community and, and, and fan first uh, kind of thing that you do? Yeah, like I said, one thing was I, I wanted to have conversation. I think conversation is the best thing that, that we can do. And I, I don't want to shun just because you don't agree with me. Uh, I don't think that doesn't mean your opinion is valid. I think that's where a lot of things go wrong. If you don't agree with somebody, then they kind of just shut away. I like to have the conversation. I like, I like to provide both sides of it. So I think that part of, of bringing both sides, whether it's my opinion, both sides, or bringing in somebody else to, to kind of give another side of things, uh, I think kind of caught on uh, with a lot of people as well. And I don't even know how it happened. And, and, I, know, and I know Neil Blackman listens to him a lot, but Bill King, who I've listened to for years on, on Sirius Radio, uh, now he, he does his own thing up in Nashville uh, on a radio station up there, but you can stream his show. But he was on Sirius Radio, and I listened to him for years, probably the, you know one of the best, if not the best, best college football uh, show out there. And uh, he just reached out to me on Twitter one day, wondering if I wanted to come on his show. And I have no idea how he heard of me. I don't know how he got in contact with me. I don't know who told him <laughs> about me or what. But you know, he asked me there. And I, I thought I had made it at that point. I was like, I'm on the Bill King show. Uh, and you know, it, it can't get much better for me uh, there. So I'm a you know a guest weekly on his show now. Every Tuesday, uh, it's turned into something big that I, I absolutely enjoy. Um, and, and you know, I, one part I think is you know having people from you know SEC Network or or, or you know former players and all that stuff. You know, trust me to, to come on the podcast as well. 
Uh, I think, you know, initially when I first started getting some former players there, uh, they, they did it just because, like I said, you know, podcasts were still new. It was something different. And I think they were happy to kind of uh, be a part of, of something like that. You know, now they're probably getting hounded all the time for <laughs> interviews at all the different podcasts and, and, and articles that need to be written out there. Uh, but then, you know, I've gotten a rapport with with former players and, and analysts out there who, who who enjoy coming on. And uh, I think that, that that's helped build it as well. And, you know, I think nothing nothing can speak higher to to, you know, getting a, a relationship with former players and, and knowing there's a trust there uh, of putting out the right kind of information, uh, you know, with, with what we do on Gators Breakdown. And, and also, you know, one more you know, huge shout out, you know, Will Miles has been with me uh, almost since the beginning uh, there. Him and, you know, Bill Sykes helped me kind of take that thing uh, off the ground and take it to a whole nother level and a whole nother stratosphere uh, there. So, I, you know, I hate to say it, it's all me there who, who helped build Gators Breakdown into what it is today. Well, it's a good it's a good shout to uh, to Will too. Um, you know, he read and reaction where where Will does some of the writing side of it with with a lot of uh, analytics and and you know just really good packing the stats stuff that uh, Eric's really good at. Um, and and you know, I think I think it's such a huge compliment for for your show and the, and the way you guys work together because you you know football anybody that that gets to guess weekly on the Bill King. I feel like the thing about Bill is, is that he's been around so long and he's so good at what he does. And the reason he's so good at it is kind of what you're doing on Gators Breakdown. Like he just promotes discussion. He promotes dialogue. He promotes respect of, of differing opinions. But you better know football if you're going to be on the <laughs> show, right? Because Bill knows football. And, and you know football. And you can always tell this in your show. And that's Will kind of – you know, comes at it more mathematically, I think sometimes than you do, but, but I love that about, about the way that you guys uh, interact with one another. And, and I think, you know, it makes for the show good, but, but you can also see your, your kind of journey, you know, you, you have the, the background in, in journalism and, and in a news network day, because, it, you know, you talk about being a fan first and, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think Eric and I are Florida basketball fans first. Hey, it, it has to start somewhere, right? I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no doubt. I mean, but I, but I also think your background helps you be, you know, a little more, yeah. a little more fair. Like I think, I think it's the fact that Eric and I coach is maybe the unique thing about our show is like, we at least can offer, you know, obviously we're not coaching division one basketball, but, but we can offer, you know, insight, you know, why a coach might do a certain thing. Um, and, you know, I think that's valuable to us. And, and I think your, your background helps you to be, you know, more fair when, when times are hard and, and maybe more tempered when, when things are going really good. Yeah, the first thing is, you know, speak the facts first, you know, and, and who, what, when, where, how, why. <laughs> and that's probably the most, you know, the most important thing. You learned that, you learned that in elementary school. You know, the, if, you, if, you, if you could tell, if you can tell that, you could tell a pretty good story uh, there. And now you can go even deeper into it. And that's kind of what we, what we try and do. But if you, if you can get the basics down, uh, you're pretty good, uh, you know, with, with, with that background uh, there. But uh, yeah, but I mean, the first of all, the first of Probably the most basic thing besides being a fan is, and I'm sure the reason you guys keep doing this too, it, it's got to be fun. Uh, and it, it's especially with, you know, like, as you said, Neil, working a full-time job, having a family, 
and, and all that stuff. You know, that takes a lot of time too. And you enjoy that part of life as well. Uh, but there are certain things that you can do as hobbies. And this has become a, a you know, it's become a passion. Florida football is a passion anyway. Uh, and look, I talk Florida yeah. football a lot. So I might as well put it out there. <laughs> That's kind of one, yeah. one thing I had out there. Look, I'm going to talk Florida football anyway. So I might as well put it out there. Uh, if something happens and it grows and I can make something of it, fine. But I was, I'd probably do it regardless anyway. Uh, so granted, you know, and it's still more independent than anything, but me working at channel four, we have teamed up. They've helped me with some promotion and all that. And you know, have sent me to sec media days to, to, to get some content there and, and all that. But the, you know, the, the podcast hasn't changed because of it. The podcast still the same is the same as it was before I teamed up with Channel Four. You know, it, it's Gators Breakdown is still mine. It, it is a true partnership uh, there, so it, it's still mine. But you know, they've helped me uh, be able to grow uh, the the podcast, especially here in the Jacksonville area, as well with promotion on the uh, the, the news station and everything. But as I said, first and foremost, it's got to be fun. It's got to stay fun. You know, I don't want to sit there and, and um, ever have to you know worry about doing an episode or, or not liking doing an episode or you know, big news happens. The first thing I want to do, I want to go out there and, right. and, and talk about the big news. It's, it's fun to me. It's fun to get the, the, to get the voice out there and the thoughts out there. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way today, but the day it doesn't become fun is the day I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, definitely good to talk about the fun, but I was going to ask, do you feel any, like, uh, I'll, I'll use the word burden. Do you feel any burden to like bring forth good content knowing that like you are part of like, like, Hey, like, to be honest, David, like you're part of my like game week preparation. Like I got to make <laughs> sure that I listen to the podcast uh, sure. uh, before the game comes. And I'm sure that there's many people that are in the same boat. Like, so do you, uh, do you ever feel like that obligation I, I, or something like that to put together, uh, to put together a good show? Or do you just like, Hey, uh, let it fire, have fun. And, uh, you know, good stuff will come from that. Yeah, I don't ever put an episode out there just to put one out there. Uh, I think mm. that's one, that's one thing. I, I do want to make sure it's good and, and have a lot of content. So it does take some time. There, there's a lot of research involved uh, to make sure I, I put the right content out there, make sure what I'm saying is, is backed up by facts sometimes uh, from, from others. And, and you know, especially, especially some of the numbers that we do sometimes takes a whole lot of research <laughs> in <laughs> making sure we did it right and, and watching, go back and watching old games or going back and watching games or certain drives from uh, a past game or whatever. And you do it in like you said, during the season, that's when it really hits hard, uh, about three shows a week. Uh, but, but, but it's fun. You know, Florida will play a game on Saturday. Um, there's a review episode on Sunday. Uh, and then Will and I will get back together on Monday, kind of take a look back at that game again and look forward a bit as well. And then on Wednesday, I'll record an interview with uh, 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 the, the next opponent, uh, I guess, from, a, from a, a next opponent that can preview that team much better than I can. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, that's probably one of my favorite things is, is getting a guess from the, the opponent that's coming up that week and, and getting their thoughts of, of getting their thoughts on Florida, uh, of course, and, and what's coming up that week with, with that team. So, uh, like I said, it, it's been more fun than, than anything, more fun than I can ever imagine. It's grown much more than I could ever imagine. And, um, no, it, it's never a burden. Uh, it's never a burden interacting with every, uh, everybody on Twitter, too. I think that that's part of how it was built. I, I love talking to everybody out there. So many conversations, so many good conversations I've had with a litany of topics. Uh, they're considering, you know, with Gators football, Gators basketball, Gators sports in general, uh, video games, metal music, whatever it is, <laughs> I'll, I'll have a conversation out there uh, with anybody. So uh, I think that helps a bit too, is just you know, not not shying away from from conversation. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
the other thing I thought that that you brought up that that was, uh, you know, well, let me say this first. If you're not listening to the the Sunday, usually Sunday review show that that Dave does, um, you know, I actually especially recommend it when Florida loses. It's just very. <laughs> it's hey, very, luckily there hasn't been that many of those the last couple of no, years. There it's Could there be any next year? That'll be a, a uh, next episode. Yeah, there we go. Hopefully, hopefully there's not. Hopefully there's not any more for a while. <laughs> That's been a nice change um, after after the decade that was. Um, but but yeah, it, it is kind of cathartic though. Like you know, and I feel like that especially because I I write about the team. So you know, sometimes I'm I'm so busy with my stories, Dave, that like I don't really the losses don't register. The fan part of me it doesn't register till I till I hit play on the on gamers breakdown on Sunday. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, that went wrong too. You know, I had my angle. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you brought that up too. Cause Sean Steed, uh, you know, he's, he, he's a popular out there on Twitter for making a lot of these cups out there. A lot of people have, oh, yeah. uh, but he shared, um, he shared a tweet. I think it was yesterday. It's funny. We bring this up cause it's coming full circle. Now he shared a tweet yesterday. He goes, Dave, for some reason this come up on my YouTube and it was the review episode the day after Florida lost to Michigan. Uh, in the uh, the season opener in 2017, oh. <laughs> and believe it or not, that may be my most popular episode. <laughs> is the day <laughs> after that game, it, it blew up. Uh, of, of course, Gator Nation, because uh, you're going into that season, it was so. Oh, we want to see progress. We want to see progress. And from game one, uh, we already knew that it, it wasn't. It, did, it didn't happen. So, uh, but it's funny because uh, yeah, that you know that was a, a Sunday episode, the day after Florida, Michigan, and probably one of the most popular episodes that's uh, of Gators Breakdown that's out there. Eric and I know about that because the second most listened to Florida basketball hour episode ever. Came after uh, Florida. Florida got clowned by Florida State again. Oh man! <laughs> on, on their home floor this past season. So <laughs> for well, some reason, some reason we, that that was one where thousands of people wanted to hear what Eric and I had to say. What's well, hey, so like, and, and kind of like that game because so there, there was so much buildup. And yeah. the fan base is completely behind it. You know, both games are early in the season. The fan bases are ready to go, and you know, both teams just get their brains beat in. <laughs> yeah well and i mean even talking uh like you mentioned earlier david just about like the evolution of the podcast from like when you started till to now uh the fact that nowadays there's a bad loss that hurts and you're angry uh you don't really want to go read an article you want to go hear someone's voice you want to hear the tone yeah. you want to hear the anger and the the vitriol in their in their voice like uh that's something that is just so interesting about podcasts versus uh versus articles i mean i i, I could write an article and uh, and putting a lot of my thoughts about a bad loss, but I, I, I mean, there's probably also emotion in my voice that'll translate a lot better than anything I could write. So I think it is so interesting that uh, when there's a tough loss, people want uh, people want that kind of conversational. They want to listen through their earphones or their speakers to uh, uh, to to kind of uh, yeah wallow in that pain with someone else. So I, I do think that's just so interesting about the medium of, of a podcast versus uh, uh, versus like the written word. Uh, just uh, yeah, especially this like, hey, what happens after a tough loss? Yeah, I've probably sounded the most defeated probably the last two <laughs> years after the Georgia game. So <laughs> uh, that's tough. The, the uh, you know the the one thing that I was going to mention before was you know you hit on something that's really important to, to Eric and I, and I think any uh, well, I shouldn't say any. I'd like to think that most journalists care about this a lot, uh, and that's. That's uh, getting the facts right and 
and being honest and, and, you know, maintaining the trust that you have as your audience grows. And I think it's one thing for the basketball hour we've, we've done. Um, it's something, you know, I messed up a story last year. Uh, anybody listening knows what I'm talking about, but Chris Steele story, I did not handle well. Uh, and you know, I was right there with you. So it's- I think, I, you know, what I tried to do after that is, is be accountable for it. Um, yep which I don't know, I think the accountability piece is, is something that's missing, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. How, how, you know, that just to me says that your audience is, is you mentioned the interactions already, but, you know, maintaining that trust, that's the most important thing to you as an independent, you know, journalist, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that's how it was built and that's probably how it, how it continues to grow is, is that part of it. Uh, I think trust does really go pretty far and, um, it, 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 it's trying to, you know, just kind of meet up with people too. A lot of people want to meet up at, at games and, and for tailgates and stuff. And they'll, you know, you and I met up, you know, not before Florida, Georgia this past year. And, you know, some, some, uh, listeners there were there. I met up with people at Peach Bowl in, in Atlanta, of course, in Gainesville as well for games. And, uh, I think, you know, you can, if you can have a conversation with somebody, put a face to a name and, and you know, not right now, but, you know, have a handshake <laughs> or whatever, uh, you know, that, that goes, uh, that goes pretty far. And, and just, you know, uh, and just, you know, just, just being genuine uh, out there to everybody. And, and I think uh, that's really what, what it all boils down to is, you know, try, try to be a good person, try to be trustworthy. And you know, it, it'll take you, it, it'll take you a long way. Another another good lesson that that we learned from our uh, our pal Bill King, I think. But uh, <laughs> who, who you know you might not always agree with Bill, but a guy would give you the shirt off his back. Not <laughs> so so I think uh, yeah, that's 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 just good general advice. You know, it, it's one thing that that I think um, helps and hurts Mike White. Um, is is kind of his just basic sense of decency i mean we see the the ncaa coming down pretty hard on on uh you know um eric who'd got oklahoma state yes oklahoma state got got hammered this week uh you know kansas it appears that that the other shoe is going to drop pretty soon LSU, LSU next, maybe. Well, Auburn, <laughs> Auburn got its notice of violations. They just haven't said what's in it, which is weird uh, because Alabama, Auburn's a public school, and Alabama has sunshine laws very similar to Florida. So I don't know how they're doing huh. that, right. other than other than bad faith. But but I think LSU will be after that. Eric, your read on you know, and and Mike White's had to kind of sustain the Donovan program. Uh, you know, for better or worse, whatever you think of the job he's done, they've done it with integrity. Uh, you know, they've done it the right way, and they've done it as the SEC's gotten stronger in basketball. Eric, what was your kind of reaction to to the Oklahoma State letter, and what does that maybe portend for for LSU and Auburn? Hey, I, I mean, the one thing that it just reiterated was, uh, I, which this is like, I, like I'm I've always been someone who like totally plays by the rules. Uh, I, that's just my nature, but <laughs> everything the NCAA does is suggesting that schools should not ever comply with what the NCAA asked for. Because right? every t- every team that does the right thing turns things in, uh, they get hammered. I mean, we saw that with BYU, who had a notice of allegations over like a couple thousand, a couple thousand dollars. Uh, they said, "Oh, like sorry, 
uh, let's give you all the information possible as soon as possible. Uh, they just ended up with a bunch of suspensions and, uh, and yeah, I mean, they wouldn't, they didn't get hammered. It wasn't like the, uh, because the, the crime wasn't that bad. Uh, but I mean, they still got, you know, hit with a lot more than LSU has with a lot more than Kansas has. And, and just everything about, uh, about dealing with the NCAA has been, Hey, if you just fight tooth and nail and you deny, 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 that has literally worked for every school since this FBI probe has happened. Uh, the one school that got named in those reports that, uh, that didn't deny, deny, deny was Oklahoma state and they just got hammered. So it's, it, it's just so sad that it's, uh, yeah, it's at that point where it's like, Hey, this, the schools that say that kind of like put up two middle fingers and say like, Hey, come and get me. We're not going to comply. And, uh, you can try to nail us in court. They've all been, they've all made off pretty well so far. And it's been the schools that have said like, Hey, we're going to do whatever it is possible to rectify this. Um, we're going to do things by the book. Uh, they've all gotten, uh, yeah, they've all gotten, uh, gotten hammered. And I mean, uh, to see, especially with this Oklahoma state thing, like Oklahoma state did not benefit from, from what Lamont Evans did. This was like, the the players were the victims here because he was trying to steer them in in other ways, but there was no players that came to Oklahoma state because of him. So I, I, I it is an interesting situation too, where like, uh, yes, they definitely had an assistant coach who definitely broke the rules, but it wasn't like Oklahoma state got a bunch of players because of it. They, it wasn't a pay for play. Hey, uh, here's a shoebox full of money. Come play for the <laughs> Cowboys. It, it wasn't that because that would be one thing where you'd say like, Hey, they benefited. Therefore they should get hammered. It was like, Hey, players that were already on the roster, uh, they had an assistant coach who was weirdly making six hundred thousand uh, dollars, which was the highest paid assistant in college basketball. Uh, he was trying to steer them towards agents. So it's just like, uh, yeah, it's 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 a little bit different than some of the other. But but once again, you see Oklahoma State, who didn't actually benefit on the basketball court from what happened, uh, they get in a whole lot of trouble. And uh, then you see these schools that have uh, that really look like they're guilty and really benefited on the court from what happened. And uh, because they just said they're going to keep denying, uh, they're okay right now. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Missouri it just happened to Missouri in football, and and Ole Miss, and Ole Miss both uh, played the game. Um, you know, in the in the aftermath of I think it's Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, and and I, I don't even know what was going on at Missouri, but they ended up with the bull band, and then the NCA did them even dirtier by like <laughs> not ruling on the appeal. For, mm-hmm. for months and months. And then the day after they got bowl eligible, the NCAA was like, yeah, you can't. <laughs> uh, so, and, and they played fair. And, and I think to your point and, and Dave's, you know, LSU benefited from, from their strong ass uh, offers yeah. and, and, and Auburn certainly benefited from, from what uh, their assistant did. My thing is if you end up, you know, if you take those chances and, you go on and win a national championship. Does it really? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Mm. You know, three, four, five years down the road. If, That's a great if, question. If it if it comes out and says, "All right, well, we're going to strip you," you know what? If I'm a fan, you're not taking my shirt. You're not taking my national championship T-shirt away. <laughs> you're not taking my hat away. Yeah, no. You're not taking everything <laughs> that says that you know my team was the national champion. You know, and rivals, of course, you know, rivals of your team can sit there and say, "Well, aha, it doesn't count" or whatever. You know what? You're you're not taking my joy from that season away. It, right. I, it doesn't really hey. matter what happens. And I think a lot of coaches in athletic departments probably see it that same way too. The, the benefit of Maybe going to win a national championship, doing things the wrong way, uh, probably outweighs you know doing things the right way. You know, yeah, Dave. Well, uh, oh, sorry, Eric. Oh, 
Well, I was just going to mention like something that Dan Dakich always says, and, and uh, he's obviously, he's not a, you know, some people really don't like him in the college basketball world. He's a pretty divisive figure. But one thing he always says is like, if you're a coach, uh, get fired for anything other than losing. Because if you get uh-huh. fired, if you get fired for, for cheating, you, you can always have another job. Like Bruce Pearl got caught cheating, had a show cause, and he got hired while he was still on the show cause. Everywhere. He's cheated so, everywhere. So, <laughs> and, and that's, just, that's just one example of many. So it, it's just interesting. Like, I mean, hey, if you lose, if you lose basketball games or lose football games, I'll say, I don't know football as well. Hopefully this, uh, uh, this analogy holds up. But if you, if you lose games and get fired, uh, that, that's big if you're labeled a loser. But if you're labeled a cheater, that doesn't seem to bother. And, and that's, where, that's one thing that I just like think that some of the blame has to be on these athletic departments who continue to hire noted cheaters. Uh, because once again, like you, you, a lot of these guys that have got caught cheating recently, they are repeat offenders that athletic departments knew were repeat offenders and hired them. So uh, yeah, I, I just think that uh, some of the burden needs to be on someone else. But I, I know you initially asked Neil about Mike White and, and how it relates to him. I mean, I, like I said earlier, I'm someone who has always kind of been someone to play by the rules and, uh, for that reason, I love Mike White. And I love the fact that I think that he can comfortably uh, say that he's doing things the right way. And I think that, that was one thing when the FBI probe first kind of came out, he just said, hey, I sleep well at night. I, I, I know I'm not the, <laughs> the line of fire here. And I would say Florida's recruiting of guys has really backed that up where, you know, some of the guys that were, uh, uh, that were dirty, Florida was recruiting in their final schools and then Florida got off them. And I would say that that would uh, coincide with Florida seeing what was going on and bailing out. And hey, one thing too with Lamont Evans, like he got a 10-year show cause. He is now probably never going to have a college basketball job again. So I think I even look at Florida's assistants right now and say like, hey, do you think one of those guys are going to risk getting a 10-year show cause and essentially ending their coaching career? Uh, I really doubt it. Darius Nichols, uh, Jordan Mincy, those guys are going to be stars in the profession. I I don't think they're trying to mess around and maybe get a show cause. So uh, I, I do think that Florida is uh, playing by the rules. I think they're going to continue to do so. It's something that I support. And hey, if Florida misses out on uh, a five star here and there, I, I still think they're going to be okay. They, they you know, they, they have um, they have done something on the basketball side that, uh, well, you know what? Let's not go there yet. L- let me ask Dave this because <laughs> I, I think this is. Um, this is a this is an interesting you know this is one of the ones I wrote down before the show to ask Dave because maybe sometimes Eric and I get caught up in and how do we analyze this how are we fair I mean what is what is your perception of of the current state of the basketball program man it's uh <laughs> in a in a tough spot because of course how the season ended all right I think we can at least maybe start there but yeah. For now, right now, I think it's almost, and I hate saying this, but just kind of getting a read of the fan base, at least from the fan base side of it, there's a lot of apathy right now because coming from last season, there was so much hype. And we kind of hit on this earlier with the, with the Florida State loss earlier in the season, but you know there was so much hype coming into this team, and you, and you had a you know big time transfer in Blackshear, and you had some high, highly rated recruits, and you know this was going to be the year that Mike White was going to put it together. He had his guys, he had his top flight guys, 
Uh, and then, you know, you lose a big game versus FSU early, you, you know, before ACC play starts, you know, you had, you were so up and down, so inconsistent, uh, had a kind of somewhat good start in the SEC, then it kind of inconsistency again. And a lot of it was the same issues that we've seen time and time again from, from yeah. Mike White of the offense not being able to take off again. But I think, you know, what, what I'm not going to say lost me as far as a, a Mike White supporter, but I think the 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 biggest thing, the biggest difference that I saw from from this team compared to a lot of other Mike White teams is is what happened to the defense. What what where, mm. where what went wrong there? You know that was always something he could fall back on. That was so, somewhat of a calling card. No matter the struggles on offense, you knew that Gator defense. You knew that Gator team was going to play some defense. And even that got lost at time. You know, team defense yeah. was was an issue uh, there. So I, I I think just because of the the heightened expectations going into last year. And then the continued offensive uh, struggles and the droughts that happen on offense, but then this defense kind of falling by the wayside, and 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 then the fan base kind of getting ramped up for some big wins, and then turning around and having some inexcusable losses at the same time. Uh, I think you know for a lot of the fan base, I, I think that the status of the program right now is apathy. apathy. They're they're kind of numb. I mean, look, you you've seen Florida. Right now, even with, with what they have coming back in some preseason polls being a, a top 10 team, and I see a lot of Gator fans out there who just don't want to believe it, you know, because of what happened the, the, the past year. So uh, I think right now, uh, I'd say um, if you can describe it this way, kind of numb, kind of apathetic uh, of what the basketball team is right now. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really fair point. It's great to have the insight from you, who's locked in with a lot of the, the football fans who are maybe just casual basketball fans. And uh, something that you hit on that I think is big is that uh, you know Florida, you know, two years ago uh, wasn't a great team, but they had an identity that they were going to really uh, really grind teams down defensively, really show effort on that end. And and I do think even if you're a casual basketball fan who doesn't really understand the intricacies of the game, uh, you can really understand. Uh, you know, effort on defense or uh, some of that kind of perceived effort, I should say, or, or anything like that. And so I think uh, even just the, the fashion in which uh, in which Florida was was losing this year, uh, I, I think that that definitely lost the casual fan of like, hey, I thought we couldn't score, but I, I thought we were going to defend. And, and if they tune into a game, that wasn't always the case. And, uh, and, and one thing, too, that I think is pretty big for uh, for the casual fan, and it was something that uh, yeah, Silk from Stadium and Gale. When I when I asked a bunch of people questions, including you, David, for my uh, kind of season recap piece at Gator Country, um, I asked him, "Hey, how do you get the the interest of the casual fan?" And he said something I thought was brilliant. He said, "You've got to beat your rivals," and I think that that was pretty interesting for because uh, yeah. that's something that I didn't didn't think of as much as like. Uh, hey, if you're a casual fan and you lose that Florida State game in the first week, uh, your interest just took a nosedive. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- those games against Kentucky, uh, a little bit embarrassing this year, the way the way that they slipped through the fingers. I mean, oh, yeah. if you're a casual fan, oh, that's going to hurt. Not, not just the 20-point lead at home either. I mean, <laughs> very well could have won the game in Rupp Arena. We're, mm-hmm. we're ahead with eight minutes to go. Yeah, so just that, yeah, to lose to lose in that fashion, it, it lost a little bit of identity. So I think that that's uh, that's got to be you know that's got to be one thing is like, hey, if uh, if at least even if Florida is not winning a ton of games, I, I do think there's got to be a point where uh, the casual fan knows the identity of the team. And and I think that's the question for me with with White and the staff because you know I, I'm pretty I guess I'm pretty notorious as like Mike White stand guy now, but. <laughs> Um, somewhat unfairly, I think <laughs> at least Eric 
has, has reassured me that it's somewhat unfair. Um, <laughs> so I'll just take Eric's word for it. Uh, but, but, but I do think it's a question of ceiling. Like we need to see it with next year's team that they can, they can have that championship caliber season. Um, and hang a banner, whether it's an SEC tournament banner, an SEC regular season title banner, um, you know, a Sweet 16, Elite Eight type banner, a Final Four banner. Something's got to go up because I don't ever, I'm really not that. You look at his coaching record. The guy's never had a losing season. Like, like the floor with Mike White is pretty high. I don't think the bottom will ever fall out. And that's a dangerous spot to be in when you kind of perceive yourself as this national power. And when even in a couple down years, you still are really, because like in the white era, you know, a stat I like to mention to people is that Florida has the third highest win. Do I got Dave? Oh, there oh. we go. You went out for yeah. a second. Yeah, I lost, lost you for a bit, but you're back now. Okay. Um, so I was just saying that that the ceiling with White, I don't think the floor would ever, the bottom will ever fall out. Um, you know, I feel like they'll win 19, 20 games. They'll go to the NCAA tournament most every year. Occasionally, maybe they'll have an NIT season. But there's this, like, to use the football coach analogy, there's this Mark Rick fear element to him. Oh. Yeah. He's a really nice guy who's going to win a lot, but but does he bust through? A question I have for you guys, and it just came up from here, and maybe you could speak on, does, does the heightened expectations from this year and then the disappointment, does that bleed into next year? Uh, I, I'd have to say yes. I, I even think uh, – well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned some of the preseason polls where some people have – uh, Florida is like near top 10 and, and some don't have Florida sniffing the top 25. Uh, to be honest, I think if it was a normal year, even nationally, uh, this team would definitely be, uh, this team would definitely be in everyone's preseason rankings just with the returning talent they have. But I think that Florida has a little bit of that label now of, uh, Hey, like we'll believe it when we see it. So uh, I, I would say it's definitely been affected and, and Hey, you know who it's, who I think it's really going to affect is Keontae Johnson and Scotty Lewis and Noah Locke and uh, the returning players who, who had the hype and, right. and it didn't work out. And I think that those are going to be the, I, I think it's going to matter to them. So uh, will it seep in? Uh, I think it's going to be more than seep in. I, I think they're going to be fair, you know, very aware of, uh, what it feels like to not reach, uh, not reach the, your standard, your goal, uh, what's expected of you. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be something that uh, whether consciously or unconsciously is a, is a big part of the way that they approach next season. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess it could be beneficial, Neil, right? I mean, it was, yeah. it was so disappointing and you, I, you could, I guess you could use it as a rallying point because, Hey, that's not who we were. We have a chance to reset now. Let's go do what we were supposed to do last year and turn it into this year. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we share little anecdotes that we get from staff members or players occasionally. And, and you know, Scotty Lewis, uh, one thing that he said um, was that, you know, he told me, I've never failed. I've never failed in my life. When I put my mind to something like 
I've worked hard and I've succeeded. And I felt like a lot of the time last year was a failure. And I, I thought, wow, if you're perceiving, you know, what basically would have been another 21 season and probably a second round exit in the NCAA tournament, I think pretty fairly uh, as a failure, you know, you know, is that, is that right? I think it probably is right to characterize it as that given, given what the hype was, given what the roster makeup was. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's unfair assessment, but that a 19, 20 year old kid has that kind of view on it and that that really motivated him to come back to school. Uh, you know, yeah, I think it, it bleeds in, in the way you want it to bleed in. Right. Um, where, you know, you see these videos of Preston green, Telling guys last four minutes, you know, last four minutes, last media timeout, grind, and it's like, you know, they're they're just stuff you put up on social media, and and like the football social media team, the Florida basketball social media team is amazing, um, but there's a reason that like Green's hyping on that, that are working on that, and it's something that's super impressive with the football program. I think Dave under Mullen, the hugest difference, the biggest difference to me, other than Nick Savage. Um, quite honestly, it's just the way that the staff adjusts and they perform in the second halves of games consistently. Yeah, that that was you know a, a big thing, and I mean, and initially we, we kind of you know the first loss to Kentucky, you know, in Mullen's first loss that was, I think maybe an eye an eye opener uh, at, at that point to, um, you know, where Jim McElwain left the program, but. Yeah. Uh, but also at the same time to be able to rebound from that um, for, for, from Mullen. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, just figuring things out uh, along the way uh, d- during the season. And I, I think just because coming off 2017 and then that loss to Kentucky early on, I, I think it would have been easy for those players uh, to kind of be like, uh, well, okay, this is not so different. We, we may have thought before this game it was a little different, but, hey, we just lost to Kentucky for the first time in 30 <laughs> years. Uh, you know, so I think also, you know, being strong in the second half is a, a strong mental part of it, but, you know, being able to bounce back after that loss to Kentucky, yeah. that being an early season loss off the 2017 season that was so disappointing, and being able to bounce back and look, and there was a lot of hype going into that, you know, for the second loss of the season, there was a lot of hype going into that Georgia game uh, as well as a top 10 matchup. Um, and of yeah. course it, it didn't come out the right way, but you had those two weeks there where there was a lot of hype. You lose to Georgia the next week, you get your brains beaten by Missouri and still find some way to, to bounce back and, and go put a beating on FSU and Michigan to end the season uh, there. So I think, you know, a lot of the things of what we're discussing here is, a lot of it is mental <laughs> as well. Right. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I was, you know, when I asked you guys to bleed over from last year, it's more mental than it is physical. It's, it's not about necessarily the players in that regard. It's about the players and their, and their mental capacity to maybe forget about last year or use it as a motivating factor uh, to, to take that next step and, and living up to the expectation that everybody has out there. Let, let me ask Eric a question because I, you know, something you said just, just made me think of, of something that, that I think I'm always trying to figure out what coaches can learn from other coaches. I guess it's a natural thing as a coach. What can I learn from that guy? What can I learn from even coaches I coach against? You know, what can I learn from them? They're really good. Montverde, we, we played them every year and they beat us 
and beat our brains in. And you know, what can we <laughs> what can we learn other than we need to recruit better players? Um, <laughs> no, um, you know, Dan Mullen. The thing I've learned covering him is that he's pragmatic. Like, there's this zone dominant run spread offense that he has. And last year they flipped the whole thing and make it this pass happy offense. And we kind of joked around after the spring game that like they didn't even try to run the ball. And we thought, oh, you just want to get the quarterback some work. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, like, we, we, we know what they have in the Michael P. Ryan. They didn't need to give him the ball. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I'm now convinced. Uh, and this is another point I think Silk brought up on Stadium again. Like, they knew. They knew they were going to have to toss the ball around a lot, whether it was Felipe or, or whoever. Uh, you know, I think that staff pretty much figured that out. But, Eric, my question for you, thinking of that pragmatism, is does Mike White need to be more pragmatic? Because one point you kept making on the podcast this year was you were disappointed at the decision to not adjust defensively. Uh, and, and maybe that kind of is a lack of pragmatism. Maybe they were too ideological as a staff. Yeah, well, that that is something that uh, while they have made some changes offensively, uh, def- defensively they've really stuck to the same style despite the fact that there's a big difference between uh, Kerry Blackshear Jr. and, uh, and Kavarius Hayes. <laughs> and, uh, and you see that even a little bit offensively when, uh, you know, like something we talked about is that White for two seasons really tried to push the uh, the dribble drive offense, and when he got Andrew Nemhar and it didn't work, uh, I, I still think it, it it took a little bit too long to change it over. And I think that that's something that is uh, that's something that definitely White could learn from Mullen. I mean, uh, like the equivalent of continuing to go to dribble drive offense with Andrew Nemhard and Noah Locke would be like, hey, we're now going to play read option all game with Kyle Trask. Like <laughs> Mullen wouldn't try to do that, or I, I don't feel he would. He he didn't, but. Uh, uh, so, I, and one thing about one thing about Dan Mullen that that I see, and I'm I'm no football expert, David. I don't know if you're aware of that. You probably gathered it just in this conversation. But uh, but I hey, feel that it, I feel really, that way about the basketball part of it. So, yeah. <laughs> but hey, it, it really strikes me that that Dan Mullen is is just not afraid to look stupid. Like he's not afraid to make a mistake that might work, and if it doesn't, yeah. he's, he's going to look stupid. Like, and that is something that that I think is is pretty admirable, and uh, and that's just something that I just feel like. Like White has definitely made changes. I just think that they've come too slowly, and I think that just having uh, having some of that boldness to to make a change and, and see what the results are, get some data, and adjust from there. Uh, I, I just think that's something that's just so interesting about about Mullen, who so quickly has pivoted uh, according to injury, according to the talent he's been able to bring in. Uh, where I just feel like White has done a little bit of shoehorning into a system, and yeah, again, it wasn't like. Uh, that's something that Mullen didn't do. He didn't try to shoehorn the talent he had uh, into a system that he uh, played at his last stop. And, and I think that that's something that, uh, yeah, it's an interesting difference between the two and, and something that, that uh, maybe can be learned from. And that, that brings up two parts, two points, you know, that, that kind of come to my mind there. If you want to look at it from the football side as well is that's why I was so, and I, and I had this argument on Twitter a, a couple, a couple weeks ago with somebody was trying to, you know, really sell me on uh, Malik Zaire and how big of a transfer he should have been uh, there. And I was like, it was never going to work because of Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer. And <laughs> right. we, we saw it because 
they didn't cater to Treon Harris when Will Greer uh, had to, you know, not play football because of the PED thing. They didn't cater to offense to Treon Harris. So why was I, why, why was I made to think that they were going to cater the offense to Malik Zaire? I, they weren't. I knew they weren't, and that's why I didn't have high hopes. I didn't like. I thought he was pretty average quarterback anyway, but I knew he was going to be made worse because of coach, a, a coaching staff that could not adapt, a coaching staff that could not de- you know, develop and, and change uh, what they're known for. And look, I'll be honest. I didn't know Dan Mullen could do it. I knew he would probably try to do it. I knew he was smart enough to at least try it. I didn't think the success uh, that we saw with Kyle Trask last year was going to happen, but lo and behold, it did uh, there. So, you know, this kind of speaks to, to, to his quarterback development and his offensive acumen. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, been, he's, he's, had a, he's shown in two short seasons being able to adapt to personnel. And I think that another thing, you know, just kind of reading the fan base as a, a knock on Mike White as well is, is not, not necessarily, as Eric said, not necessarily not willing to change, but maybe taking too long to do so. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And it's a great point about, about wondering whether Mullen would do it too, because we didn't see it so much at Miss State. But, and I think Urban got credit for the, for the adjustments they made with Leak, right? Because, well, they were Urban's idea. Yeah, but, but that's but what, also. I also want to go back. Why? Why didn't we hire Mullen after Meyer? <laughs> well, and, and I think that's that's a tremendous question, and it, it that's one. You know, there's a basketball side to that too, because people that question in hindsight the white hire. You know, I get it. I get that they were worried about handing the keys to the program over to mid major coach. But you got to remember, ESPN had a brand as the number one mid major coach, behind uh, no one. SI had him ranked two behind Archie Miller, who has won far less at Indiana, despite infinitely uh, ah, yeah. a, an infinite number of resources. Um, you know, I'm not going to say more resources than Florida. Florida has really good basketball facilities, but but certainly Indiana, anything he wants, he gets, and he's been you know less successful. Shaka Smart, you know, <laughs> nearly was fired. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe in a world without COVID is fired, I, you know, I don't know. So, you know, I think a lot of that hindsight stuff is pretty fascinating, but it's clear that Mullen learned from his mentor that, you know, you have to be willing to adjust to what you have. And, and I just thought this season, the coaching job with, with Kyle Trask was one of the most exceptional things I've ever seen. And I, and I do I, wonder because we, we go back and, and we talked about maybe how you know that spring was probably an indicator of them wanting to pass the ball uh, a bit more. You know, spring practices and spring games are kind of set up for that a, a bit anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it was going to happen, but also you know we saw early in the season when Franks was quarterback, they were still trying to run the ball a bit more than they did when 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 Trask was in there. Yeah. Um, and I'm still not sure, you know, if they just if Mullen just trusted Traska a, a bit more. Now in the Kentucky game, they were down; they had to pass. <laughs> so maybe Mullen saw that as like, okay, maybe he can go out there and do it. We put it, he was put out there in that situation. He 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 excelled, uh, and, and it happened. But still, early in the season, I still think they were still trying to figure out the run game. Maybe putting Franks in some bad situations, uh, you know, with some third and longs because you know being um, you know not not passing the ball as much on first down as they did. You know, when 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 Trask took over, you saw I think you saw a lot more uh, willingness and and to open up right. the offense early early on in drive. So yeah, there's just a, a lot to point to uh, to the willingness to to adapt and, and and try things. 
Well, I just thought it was like the most amazing thing in my like couple of years of, of really f- following Florida football uh, was when Kyle Trask came in and suddenly it was like uh, seven like swing pass screen passes uh, <laughs> in a row while like dudes were careening past Florida's offensive line. Like I just thought it was the most amazing like split second pivot. Like it was like it, it truly seemed like it was another playbook. Like it, it was just so different. And uh, the way that the ball was getting out of his hand is, uh, you know, offensive linemen are whiffing on guys. Like I, I thought it was incredible. And, and again, like uh, the, the confidence shown there by, by Mullen to just say like, Hey, uh, Trask, you're going to come in and you're going to start chucking it. Like, I, I just think that that stuff's amazing. And, uh, yeah, and I just think that some of that, uh, some of that boldness and just willingness to make changes, like, hey, if uh, if it didn't work off the bat, I don't think anyone's faulting Mullen there, but hey, it worked brilliantly. And uh, instead of saying like, okay, next uh, next guy up, let's uh, let's keep the system going, see if he works within it. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I, I feel like it's something that could be uh, could be shifted a little bit uh, from the basketball side. We we have a. Uh... You know, obviously, with with the the apathy, there's also, you know, I still think it's just a very vocal minority. But, you know, I get in this debate a lot on Twitter about whether it's really a minority. But there's certainly a hive that that is after uh, Mike White that would like to see a change made. Um, we'll see what happens next season. You know, uh, it, it is of note that Scott Strickland did not extend him again, um, and uh, so I think. Yes, he just signed an extension, but it was a short one. So the fact that they didn't re-up the extension or do any races, you know, should tell you that next year's a pretty big year. There's also a little bit of a hive on the football side, and it would be podcast malpractice to not ask Dave <laughs> about the uh, Kyle Trask and Emory Jones hive. Are, are, how do we do this diplomatically? Emory Jones is really, really talented. Yep. And everyone recruited a kid who could throw, by the way. Everyone thought he could throw. And if you watch him in pregame warm-ups, which I like to do, I'm that nerd that, that still will go, you know, well before a game starts just to see him doing stuff. Uh, I mean, dude's got a, a good arm. Um, and Mullen hasn't been afraid to let him throw in, in big spots uh, occasionally. You know, that drive against Auburn does not mm-hmm. get does not get enough credit, and it was integral to winning the football game. Uh, you know, but what's a realistic take on on the, like, Jones versus Trask hive? Like, they're just not going to bench a guy who had the best season for a Florida quarterback in a decade, are they? Right. That's what it boils down to. Uh, right right now, at its surface, that's that's the first step. That's the first line of thinking there that, you know, Kyle Trask had a very successful season. There's really no way you can bench him uh, there. Now, I guess if you look at it this way, if some unknown, you know, uh, unknown, if, if there's some reason Emory Jones is taking the first nap of, the, uh, of next season – I think that would actually be a good thing. And don't get me wrong, there's not a quarterback battle. I, I don't think there is. You know, every, everybody can say, you know, there's a battle at every position, blah, 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 blah. Kyle Trask is the number one quarterback. He's going to be taking the first nap uh, of the season. I'm just saying, if he's not, if Emory Jones was to take the first nap of the season, you know what that means? That means he went out there and he had a hmm. heck of a summer, right? A heck of a fall camp, because that means he went out there proved himself, and went and beat out a very, very good Kyle Trask. That's what that would mean if he's taking the first nap of the season. Uh, so if, if that was the case, then you, you're, in good, you're in good hands. You're, you're in, I mean, 
you're in great hands right now anyway with 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 how it's going to work out with with Trask being the one and, and and Emory being the two. And look, we all know Dan Mullen's offense is going to be at its best when there's a dual threat a quarterback, and I mean a true dual threat, not just a. I, I want to get out the the thought of a Dan Mullen's offense will be better when there's a running quarterback. No, it needs to be a true dual threat, not just a running quarterback who has a, a average to below average arm, kind of like Nick Fitzgerald. Was that offense good? It was good, but it couldn't take that next step because Nick Fitzgerald was limited with with his arm talent. Um, they, you know, they could run the ball very well with him, but it was still somewhat limited. It needs to be a true dual threat. Emory Jones is that true dual, true dual threat, but that doesn't necessarily mean he is the be- best option more so than Kyle Trask right now. Uh, and Kyle Trask may not be the runner Emory Jones is, but the overall quarterback at this moment in time is Kyle Trask. That doesn't mean Emory Jones will eventually be better. doesn't mean he won't be better at, at maybe some point this year or, or in 2021. But at this moment in time, going into this 2020 season, Kyle Trask is your best option. You want to go beat Georgia. You want to go win the SEC. Kyle Trask is the best option right now. Eventually, and, and for this Gator offense to take the next step, it's going to have to be a dual-threat quarterback that, that can run and throw. Uh, but for, for this moment in time, Kyle Trask is the best option for this 2020 Gator team. So, so flip it around for me. You ask, you ask Eric a question you have about the basketball program. <laughs> um, and and let's see let's see you know we put you on the spot let's put Eric on the spot. Okay, yeah. I, um, everybody wants to know, if we, and I'll relate it to the football team too, right here, since we're doing that a, a bit. Kyle Trask probably still another step that he has to take for this Gator offense to to you know to to beat Georgia and to go win the SEC. Is Keontae Johnson that player? for this coming up season. You know, we saw, I think, all the potential in the world uh, with Keontae, but is there that next step that in turn helps this whole team take the next step? You know what? Truthfully, I don't know if there's a a huge step for Keontae Johnson to take just because, hey, he already has shot the ball really consistently over two seasons. He's already shown the ability to uh, to attack closeouts, uh, to rebound, uh, to work on the defensive glass, to, to block a couple of shots. Uh, for him to really add something to his game, it would have to be like as a ball handler, someone who can initiate off ball screens. And uh, that's a pretty big, that, that would be a pretty big step and something that I'm not really sure that, like, I don't think that that's what the staff is really asking him to do. So, that, that isn't to say I'm not expecting another big season from Keontae Johnson. Uh, I, I am, but I think it's going to look a lot like last season. And in, in terms of making the entire team better, uh, basketball is, uh, is dominated by guys who have the ball in their hands and, and who can create. And that's, uh, that can be point guards, that can be shooting guards, uh, but it's guards that, that handle the rock. And uh, something that Florida has had a little bit of problems with is the fact that, uh, you know, they had a really pure point guard in Andrew Nemhart, someone who couldn't really create a lot for himself. And then the shooting guard spot, it was often Noah Locke, who excellent shooter, but someone who wasn't going, going to be particularly comfortable with the ball in his hands dribbling. And, uh, or you had Scotty Lewis there, another, another guy without a lot of offensive flash or, or someone who can create a lot for himself. So, so Florida has really lacked in the kind of creating, uh, off the dribble aspect, something we've talked about a lot on, on, on this show. And if Florida is really going to take another step, it, it, it's, it really needs to be, hey, multiple guys that can create off the dribble. Uh, Keontae Johnson, fantastic player, but I don't think he's ever going to be that, that primary initiator. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm expecting big season from him, but, uh, but I'm not, uh, he's, he's not someone that is really built to, to really uh, elevate everyone around him more than he really did last year. One more, Neil. Uh, this this one's coming up 
And it may be more of a joke at the same time. Uh, how many times will we see four guards on the court? <laughs> I like it. Um, it depends on how you classify Scotty Lewis, I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I would say call him. I would say call him a guard for the sake of for yeah. the sake of this. So yeah, for, for the, the sake of this, yeah. For the sake of this, because 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 that because probably probably so because I was. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. like it. I like it. So, so one one thing I mentioned to um, to Eric a, a couple shows ago was that a, a really fun team that that I liked was a Villanova team that actually played Florida in the NCAA tournament in 06. So the first year that Florida won the national championship, Florida played a Villanova team in the Elite Eight, and it was like the first of Jay Wright's four guard weird lineups where he had like a six, nine forward that played center and the center was just a freakish athlete. And I like the idea uh, with Trey Mann back of, of Florida occasionally going four guards where it's man, Appleby, Keontae Lewis, and then Anthony DeRuji as the center. Yeah. I, I, I was going to mention, I mean, the, uh, <laughs> the only thing really stopping like, a massive onslaught of guards is the fact that I think Daruji is so good. And I think Keontae Johnson is so good. So uh, if, so in my opinion, I mean, I think those two players are going to split the time at the, at the power forward spot. Right. Uh, almost exclusively. I think those are, those guys are going to split the 40 minutes at, uh, at the four spot. And I think that's one thing that really, uh, uh, really keeps uh, from, from a four guard lineup with like a Scotty Lewis at the four, but, uh, uh, but Hey, Keontae Johnson, I mean, I mean, it's kind of interesting, you know, is asked like, Hey, is Scotty Lewis considered a guard for the sake of this conversation? <laughs> and it was like, yes, it, it's fair to call him a guard. Uh, I, I think Keontae Johnson might have a better handle than, than Scotty Lewis. Yeah. I, I mean, we can argue the semantics of what makes a guard or, or what makes a forward or, or anything like that. But uh, Hey, if you're going to call Scotty Lewis a guard, I, I, th- I think you can call Keontae Johnson a guard and therefore absolutely they'll have four guards. Up to <laughs> line. I got, I got one for Dave and then we're going to close with recruiting, but let's do this one first. Um, explain to me the enigma that is Kadarius Tony. Oh man. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> Can he become more of a true wide receiver? Uh, I think that's the biggest question, especially with, you know, what Florida lost at, at that position. Right. Uh, and um, to maybe, maybe, maybe a liking the basketball guy. Is, is he Casey Hill? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Is, is that what I, he I, is? I like that. Cause, cause he is electrifying. Yeah. He's <laughs> electrifying. You see, the the best and, and and when you do see the best you're like wow but man there's just so many inconsistencies at the same time there you're <laughs> right. just like oh man just what are you doing and uh, i still think with Kadarius tony the good outweighs the bad um he's just a playmaker waiting to happen we all remember the first the first touchdown of the season versus miami and, and making guys miss breaking tackles and, and getting to the end zone but can he be that guy kyle Trask can rely on on third and six i mean my thing is he even out there in that yeah on that type of play and if he is out there you know that third and six you're not using too many gadget plays there you know can he be that slot receiver can he go run that slant can he beat press coverage can he convert that third and six uh can he be a guy kyle trash relies on in that situation you know first of all he's got to put himself in that situation and i'm expecting big things from grimes and 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 jacob copeland there from from the receiver position of course you gotta gotta count kyle pitts in there too uh but for Kadarius tony to keep him on the field and to keep defenses guessing he needs to become that all-around wide receiver 
just all around wide receiver, learn to run routes better, learn to beat some coverages, learn to sit down in a zone in the right place, and, and not, not let defenses key in on you uh, and, and being able to kind of predict what, what may happen just because you're on the field. Um, maybe you quit taking so many tackles for losses there. You know, that, that's just part of his game. Uh, right now, but you know, he he's that gadget type player. But uh, the part of the enigma is he just needs to be he needs needs to become. And I think the question is, can he become more of a true wide receiver? So, Eric, I guess you know what what has changed with Florida's basketball recruiting, and and why do you you know think that that it's it's improved so dramatically in the last couple seasons. Uh, well, I mean, when you see the, uh, the last class, it's definitely chasing uh, it's, or sorry, it's, I should say it's not chasing guys that are, that are top 100, like right at the top of the top 100, not chasing five stars as much. And it's, Hey, it's something that they've been open about is that they, uh, they maybe got caught looking at recruiting rankings a little too much. And, uh, and that changed. And uh, I, I would say they're now starting to recruit a lot more towards uh, the style of play that they that they want to implement, and uh, also just really towards what modern basketball looks like. They were really deprived of wings, something you really need in, in modern basketball, and they really addressed it. And something that they also really changed, I would say, is they are making it a priority to, priority to become old and uh, by taking yeah. a junior college transfer. And that's something that, hey, they were too young for a few years in a row, and the, one of the ways you can address that is by get, going the junior college route, which is not something that you see a ton at the high major level of, of college basketball, but you're also seeing it more and more. And I think next year, looking at some of the guys that are on the junior college uh, rankings and who are going to be making the jump to Division One, uh, there's some really there's some impactful guys that are going to be game changers at the Division One level, and Florida's in on a couple of them. So uh, I think that you are seeing that they're not going to look at all the the, the top 25 five-star kids and say like hey let's uh, let's make a splash as much like hey if there's someone that they think they can get someone that they think can fit their system they're, they're obviously going to go after him but I think it's a little more of like hey uh, who's going to work in our system the system we want to play uh, who do we think might stay around a little bit and and become a little older and how can we get older right now with a junior college player that is uh, that has some proven production and and so the football side of it you know, Florida seems to have hit a groove in basketball recruiting. You could do multiple hour long podcasts on football recruiting, Dave. Um, you know, where, where are you on the level of concern? Um, because I think if, when you get past kind of the, the hype of the month, the hot month that Tennessee had, or you get past the fact that Georgia is still recruiting, you know, like the Death Star, uh, it, it does look like Florida is modestly improving their recruiting operation from year to year. They are, um, of course. You know, and we did an episode on it, on it last yeah. night with, with yeah. Johnny with Johnny <laughs> Brent, with Johnny Brown not coming in. You you've got to at least start getting doing a better job of getting the player, players on campus. That's for sure. Uh, but you know, it, it is improving overall uh, under uh, of, of definitely compared to what it was under Jim McElwain, who uh, the, the recruiting couldn't, it, it was hard to be that bad at recruiting uh, when you're the head coach, <laughs> when you're the head coach at Florida, you gotta, you gotta almost try uh, to, to, be, to, to be that bad at it. Um, 
you know, Mullen's going to do a good job of, uh, of getting a quarterback every cycle. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I think that's a big part of uh, recruiting. You know, Jalen Jones no longer there, but uh, you know, they, they've done a good job uh, of getting their quarterbacks and, and trying to – kind of funny, though, that Mullen's been here. You know, this is his third, his third season, and we're going into the third season and still not a quarterback that's going to be taking the first snap of the season. I don't think that, that Dan Mullen recruited. So I don't think but we, he's kept Emory on campus. He's kept him on in, campus in this age yep. is, is something, but you know, going back when Dan Mullen was hired in, in, in you know, December of 2017, I don't think I would have told you in going into his third season, Kyle Trask or Felipe Franks would still be taking a snap. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so that, 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 that's the, that probably the, the weird part about it. Or but, Kyle yeah. Trask will be first team all SEC. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, never said that either. yeah I definitely wouldn't have said that either. So uh, <laughs> um, yeah, overall, I think the big question, look, history shows the recruiting still not good enough. Uh, to win a national championship unless you get, you know, SEC championship, national championship, unless you get the the just crazy show-out season from a quarterback. And that's what Florida's going to need. Now, this year I think is kind of different with what Alabama's losing, with what Georgia's losing, and all the experience there. You know, it lines up well for Florida. Uh, and you could, you know, got kind of point to uh, there. You know, a lot of people want to point to it. Are, are top ten classes enough? Is that close enough to to what Georgia's doing and what Alabama's doing on the recruiting trail? And when Mullen was hired, you know, I, I said it probably would be uh, that he would he would keep winning um, uh, enough, and then eventually would kind of break through to get those elite classes. You know, he, he's right now he he's not an elite recruiter. Uh, that that's not, and that's not necessarily a knock on him. That's not a, the not that's not a knock on the coach uh, Dan Mullen. Uh, and you know he, he's went after big targets and, and not being able to get only the big time running backs Trey Sanders and Demarcus Bowman uh, both not choosing to, to to go to Florida the last couple uh, recruiting cycles with you know with big time running backs there so you know it's not like he's not going after these big players and, and, and missing you know a lot of people want to say oh he's getting guys that want to be Gators or he getting guys that fit his system well come on there's a little bit of the other side of it too he's he's went after big top guys and just haven't got just haven't gotten them either uh, but you know he's one of the best coaches out there uh, of making something of with, with what he has is that going to be enough and I, I still think that just remains to be seen uh, Neil we, we can't make that ultimate determination uh, of Dan Mullen's recruiting right now if it's going to be enough history shows right now it probably isn't enough uh, but I think if there's a coach out there that can take what he has and and, and do something with it, Dan Mullen's that guy. So right now, I still think it's just kind of wait and see mode with recruiting, and if it's going to be enough where where Gator Nation wants it to be. Let me let me close with this because I you know I wanted Eric to have a chance to ask any last questions he has. But do you think? I mean, you know, we all know how important the Georgia game is. Like Steve Spurrier said the road to any championship goes through Jacksonville. Um, but does the road to better recruiting go through Jacksonville now too? Does Florida need to win that game to show that they can win that game, so to speak, so to speak to recruits, or do you think recruits even really register that stuff? I don't think they really register that stuff all that I, much. I don't either. If, That's why I love that question because it's – Yeah, <laughs> if, if it mattered so much, these 10 and 11 wins would have resulted in to, to just yeah. enough – a better uptick in, in recruiting, I think. That's just the way I, I see it. A lot of people want to look at uh, facilities and how much that matters and, and winning on the field and how much that matters and stuff. Don't get me wrong. I think it can hurt you not having those things. I just don't know how much. I just don't know how much they help. If that if that makes sense, they can yeah. definitely hurt you. I just don't really know how much they help. Uh, at, at the same time, so uh, they can do those situations. that kind of 
there, I think you're, you know, or, or more negative. I don't know how, how, how the positive weighs out there. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, look, I, I, I've had the moniker for a while. Recruiters recruit. That's just, that's really, really all it boils down to. We knew Kirby Smart was a great recruiter coming from Alabama, and he's shown that to, to, to be at Georgia uh, there. So I, I don't necessarily think, it, can it change one or two recruits maybe, and is that much? It, it, are there one or two recruits, recruits a, a big enough difference to, to make a, a difference overall? I don't know. It's just looking at it from a, from, from a, from a wide scope. No, I, I don't think Florida beating Georgia just kind of, is the the the, the linchpin, the staple uh, that kind of you know, is is the final step in Dan Mullen kind of taking that re- next recruiting step and and being a, known as a, an elite recruiter, getting top three, top five classes year in and year out. Eric, maybe it's hiring uh, Darius Nichols, who's like an assa- <laughs> an assassin on the trail. <laughs> oh, could you could you imagine? That's that's that is what I'd love to see. But a uh, uh, basketball <laughs> assistant, a pl- director of player personnel on the football side. Nah. Yeah, get get Nichols, get Nincy on that. That'd be good. But hey, Neil, I'm glad you gave me the chance for one last question because I do have one. Um, uh, so th- I think the first Gators Breakdown podcast I listened to was maybe like two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, um, and it was you and Will Miles talking about uh, talking about offensive line play, and I was gripped. And I think I've listened to every podcast since. Um, so I think I have what's probably going to be a really naive, uh, ignorant football take, and then I'm going to ask you, and you can tell me why I'm why I'm wrong. Uh, but, uh, uh, so obviously I think that offensive line play, that's going to be a lot of what Florida season hinges on. And when I was watching the team in week one or week zero last year, it was just pretty clear that the, that the, the offensive line didn't have it. And I, I feel like when I watch offensive line play, it, it almost feels like you have it or you don't. And again, this, this is my naive ignorant statement, but I just kind of feel like you, you play someone at your level at the high major level and either you can hold a block or you can't, or you can get a push or you can't. And I think that we saw that with, with Florida's offensive line last year, it just seemed like early. You, it seemed like right away, you could just say like, Hey, they're, they're not able to get a push in the run game. So I, is it, is it that simple of like, Hey, can you tell just that quickly that like you have it or you don't, or like, like it was always something when people were talking about like, Hey, can Florida's offensive line improve? Um, I always kind of thought to myself, like, man, it's I kind of feel like you have it or you don't, and, and Florida doesn't have it. The only thing uh, that takes me maybe a little bit away from that, because I think we almost saw something kind of similar the year before, in, in 2018 as well, and there was such a slow start on, with the offensive line as well. And a lot of that was magnified because they played a really, really good Kentucky team. Uh, the second week of the season that were so good in the trenches. Yeah. And we sat there and looked at, Hey, look, this looks, this doesn't look much different than that, than the Jim McElwain team. They were, they got whipped up front on, uh, you know, both sides of the ball, but also uh, on, on the offensive side. And that game was a lot in Felipe Frank's hands because they couldn't run the ball versus Kentucky uh, either. So that they, they had their run struggles pretty early in 2018 as well. And then by the time the season ended you know that that run game was popping off for you know 200 300 yards a game uh there so um but i think where the worry last year come in is you knew they replaced so much you know, at least in 2018 when they struggled early you knew those guys had a lot of experience so i don't think it was too much it, it was a little bit of a surprise to see him put it all together and, and do so well at the end of 2018 but you know looking back at it that was a well-experienced group, and you can kind of see why maybe the the uh, over time that they got to that point last year, they replaced so much on that offensive line, and they did struggle so early. 
um, that maybe just because a lot of the inexperience, they were still learning. They they got they did did do better somewhat. You know the FSU game and and then the, of course they had a really good run. You know the offensive line played pretty well. One of their better games uh, in the Orange Bowl versus Virginia uh, there. So. All in all, you know, kind of last year, yeah, maybe you could tell uh, because of so, because of the, all the inexperience that you know they, they were inexperienced and they struggled. I mean, that maybe was an indicator that it was going to be that way all season. But looking back at 2018, they struggled early but had so much experience that it was not much of a surprise that they eventually put it all together. Dave, oh, yeah, um, Dave, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, we, you know. Believe it or not, we have we have a handful of basketball only like national listeners who who may uh, you know not be uh, among your your legion of, of followers <laughs> on Twitter. Tell tell those folks where they can find you and and how they can and listen to Gators Breakdown if they're not already. Yep, everybody can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC and follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. You can catch the podcast on every podcast platform out there. There's a video version on YouTube as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll share my thoughts, you know, basketball thoughts on Twitter as well. You know, it's not as in-depth as uh, Eric and Neil, but uh, <laughs> uh, I will I will put the thoughts out there. I know Neil and I have talked plenty behind the scenes uh, about the basketball team as well. So uh, you, you'll get my thoughts out there uh, on the basketball team, but uh, not as in-depth as, as these guys. But, uh, you know, you can, you can find it all there at GatorDave underscore SEC. Yeah, and, and make sure you listen to him uh, Tuesdays on The Bill King Show. Uh, as well yeah always fun there uh, and that's that's the thing I, I never know where bill's going so i always have to be prepared so. <laughs> no one no one knows where bill's going these days but <laughs> yeah hey and uh and, and like neil said i mean gators breakdown is is always best after a loss so uh so uh, pencil <laughs> it in uh 2021 uh, I, I listen to uh to the podcast uh, oh i like it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. none yeah. in 2020. No, no, no losing episodes in 2020. Yeah. I just, don't, I just don't want to be listening to it uh, after the Georgia game. No, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, no losing episodes uh, November 1st. So. Yeah, how about that? Trick or treat, let the big gator eat. Uh, th- <laughs> thanks, everybody.